0: So sitting out on the lineup, waiting for a wave, it's always like there's a tiger coming. (laughs) There's there's an animal coming to attack you. You're always on guard.
1: This is Andrea Muller. She's a record-holding, world-class big wave surfer and the first woman to ever paddle into Jaws. The waves there can reach 60 feet high. She's also a business traveler, or as I like to say, a tarmac warrior.
0: I think my first wave was actually a left and a long wall of water. I remember just riding forever, like unbelievable feeling. It, you're fast, you have wind in your face. You are just, you know when you ride the motorcycle and you just get that breeze in your face and you're just all of a sudden happy and everything was, you know, I, you want to do it again and you want to go bigger. And, and that was the start of paddle surfing at Jaws. And You know, that was that feeling that I realized that I'm coming back every year no matter what. I'll never stay away.
1: Hi everyone, and welcome to episode one of Tarmac Warriors, a three-part podcast from SAP Concur Solutions. We are all about exploring where business travel is going through the eyes of some of the most extraordinary business travelers out there. I'm Heather Greenwood-Davis, your host, and today's episode is all about safety. Our conversation begins in the Hawaiian Islands, just off of Maui's North Shore, at one of the most infamous surf breaks in the world, Piahi, otherwise known as JAWS. Hi, Andrea. Hi. So for anyone who's not familiar with Andrea... She is an icon. Not only is she a record holding surfer, she's also a champion for women's rights and equal pay in the sport. And she's a full-time paramedic. So her life revolves around risk assessment and safety on this really deep level. Before we even get into that, Andrea, I'm wondering if you can tell us about how you got started in surfing.
0: I was born in Brazil. I was raised by a family that uh, chose to live on a small island, and we pretty much grew up on the beach. My dad had a marina, and he exposed us to the ocean. You know, my whole childhood was in the ocean, so as a young kid, I, I wanted to surf, but it was kind of a prohibited thing. My parents had a little bit of a, a idea that surfing was a stoner thing, you know, not a serious sport. And... You know, only now surfing is in the Olympics, right? Like you you see how how much growth we still have in surfing to go, you know. Right. And here you are paddling out to
1: Jaws as the first woman ever. You know, while most surfers tow in on a jet ski, very few people in the world actually have the courage or the skill to paddle out in waves that size. How important is safety to
0: you on a day like that? Safety is what makes us able to keep on going. One thing that happens at JAWS in particular is that when you sit in the water and you're waiting for a wave to come, either you're on the spot and the wave comes and you're able to catch it, and that's a perfect world. But a lot of times, if you are on the spot and the wave comes and you don't catch it, the wave catches you. And that means, you know, a three-story building of water falling on, on your head and you're going to break your expensive board and you're going to be held under the water and you're going to have a miserable time. And that's the thing that every surfer wants to avoid at all costs. That sounds terrifying. Are you scared at all in that moment? You know, definitely there's a fear. There's, you know, a lot goes in your mind of what could happen. But I think when you're listening to that calling, you know, there's something that is makes you... So believe in yourself that the fear becomes that respect and that focus. You know, you transform the fear into something that makes you more powerful.
1: Yeah, I love that idea. That feels like such a lesson for a lot of areas of our lives. And when it comes to business travelers, there's definitely this dimension of fear for our own safety as we get back on the road. You actually know this better than anyone since you are, in fact, a business traveler as well. What does travel look like for you?
0: Yeah, so, you know, I actually, I'm on the road a lot. I've been, you know, Tahiti, California, Oregon. Definitely have the dream to go into Portugal. Still waiting for that opportunity. Brazil, of course. Uh, those are the main places as far as surfing. You know, it's not just something that you can pre-plan. You, you know, you've got to follow the swell and the you know, the weather conditions, when they're right, you decide within 48 hours that you got to go. I think a lot of business travelers will probably relate to that, to that sort of you've got to go now and that something is happening tomorrow. Traveling is a big task. You know, I actually admire people that commute to their careers. Time differences, hydration, what you're going to eat, your, your sleeping pattern changes. You know, if you catch an, a red-eye flight or your comfort at the plane It's it's one of those things that you got to almost like train, be good at traveling as a person that commutes or competes worldwide. Any really memorable trips? In one particular trip, this swell delayed or there was a second swell like a few days later and we asked Bianca, can we stay at your house? Bianca Valenti who formed the committee for fighting for equality and in that particular staying a little longer and cruising in San Francisco and getting to know the city. And then the swell arrived and we all kind of broke our own little records and we ended up forming a kind of a team to fight for equality. And um, it was one of those trips that changed who I am forever and actually changed the story for women in surfing.
1: Yeah, not everyone can say that on a trip, you know, delayed trip home, that they managed to change everything for women in their sport. Right. Sometimes great things only happen because you made that business trip.
0: Right. You know, it's one of those things like with some careers or some jobs, you can get on a Zoom meeting and we can kind of make that meeting happen. But in the athletic career, you know, if you don't go there, you're not surfing that wave, you know. You really miss out if you can't travel. You can't break a record if you don't go for where the record is, or you can't make that friendship if you don't spend time with those people from other towns and different cultures. Traveling is a key, I think.
1: Talk to me more about safety and big wave surfing. When we talk about the risks, what are we talking about?
0: The biggest risk, I think, on, on big wave surfing would actually to harm yourself. And the first thing that comes to my mind is drowning, you know, where you get held under the water for a long time. You know, other risks that are big there is, you know, you cutting yourself or you not having um, the right equipment to actually help you surf the wave the way you want it. And, you know, there's people around you as well. There's tons of surfers around you and the boards are really heavy. So if you actually accidentally drop on somebody and your board hit that person, you can actually harm someone else. So you're not just there on your own surf journey in your own little wave. You've got to watch for others and it's competitive out there. Which of course is very true in
1: travel as well. You are never alone when you're in transit, especially with air travel.
0: You have to be very aware of your surroundings, just like on the wave. Yeah, you know, The ocean will humble you very shortly if you don't know how to read it and respect it. But it is something that you don't have control. You know, water, the wind, the force, the current. There's a lot of forces that are against you if you don't know how to work with it.
1: Yeah. And it's sort of like when a business traveler is out traveling on their own. You know, you have to entrust your fate to this vast travel ecosystem of airports and airlines and hotels and cars, and it's all really totally out of your control. So the question often becomes, what can you control? How can you be as prepared as possible?
0: Yes, I think that there's a few important things. One is being in shape and being physically ready, obviously, But another thing that people forget about is the mental part of it, not just believing in yourself, but I think if you're organized with your equipment and having that mindset that you got everything that you need to make it happen. You know, I have my fins, I have my wax, my leash is attached, my jet ski, the plugs are in, I have fuel. So preparing yourself for the big day, whatever big day it is in your life, preparing yourself, having that second toiletry bag that is ready. It's huge. It's, it's, it's half the battle, I think. Absolutely. You just
1: ask any business traveler who arrives in destination without the plug for the computer, right? Right. Your charger. <laughs> yeah. And the business traveler equivalent of all that prep is really packing all the right things and thinking ahead. Not only are we now bringing the right clothes and all the electronics, but now we also need hand sanitizer, masks, our own snacks, proof of our negative COVID test what qualifies as essential is constantly evolving. Something that's probably a new essential on your packing list is the personal surf inflation vest, right? Can you tell us about
0: that? What a change in the surfing world, in my opinion, uh, the inflatable vest kind of did, right? So it's this little jacket that you wear and it has a bladder in it. Imagine like it's actually almost in the shape of a lung and this bladder is deflated. So it's not really affecting on how you're laying on the board. And then you have two or three or four CO2 cartridges, kind of like the cartridges that people inflate their bike. And when you're wiping out down under, you have a little cord, you know, by your neck that you pull and inflates. And now you're like a puffer fish. You're going to go up to the surface and you're basically going to be a puffer fish on the surface until you deflate the vest.
2: Ironically enough, some of the early ideas actually came from airplane vests.
1: This is Andrew Reinhardt, who leads Patagonia's R&D for all things surf-related and innovation-related, including the revolutionary PSI vest.
2: And it essentially inflates about the equivalent of three Coast Guard life vests in about three or four seconds. So what that does is it basically just adds a lot of positive buoyancy and will start to rise you to the surface. The nice thing about it as well is once you're on the surface and it's inflated, you have a handle that you can pull to deflate it in case you need to dive under the next wave. So the ability to manually pull the vest and manually deflate it really really adds to the versatility of it. You know, sometimes users find themselves really close to the rocks. And, you know, being an inflated beach ball isn't always the best situation to be in. So, yeah.
1: The idea of an inflated beach ball close to rocks definitely paints a picture there. Absolutely. Do you think the surfing community at large feels significantly safer when they wear this tech, even if they never use it? I mean, for me, I feel safer on a plane knowing that the vest is there under the seat, even if I never have to pull it out.
2: Definitely, you know, a couple ways to look at it. These new products are awesome, and yes, they are helping surfers push the limits 100%, but I think there's also this false sense of security that comes along with it, and that's why Patagonia requires you take a big wave safety course before you're allowed to purchase it. And, you know, that way we can kind of really get to the bottom of some of these things and let people know, like hey, like this isn't just, you know, the silver bullet. It's really just, again, just another tool in the quiver. But really at the end of the day, the outcome of all this is everyone's just thinking about safety more.
1: The PSI vest was developed in direct response to a safety crisis in the sport. And the COVID crisis has been the same kind of catalyst for the travel industry. It feels like there's a new safety technology launching every other day. Just in the last few months, United Airlines launched the Zuno Antimicrobial Shield that uses electrostatic sprayers to fortify surfaces. JFK launched CrowdVision, a platform that monitors social distancing in high traffic areas. And in Hong Kong, they've even set up full-body disinfection chambers. The list goes on and on. We had the chance to speak with Elliot Kreitenberg of Dimer UVC Innovations about one of the most exciting new pieces of safety tech, an ultraviolet light system that disinfects the entire interior and virtually all the surfaces of a commercial aircraft in under 10 minutes. Hi, Elliot. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. So why don't we start with you telling us a little bit about who you are and what you do?
3: I'm Elliot Kreitenberg. I'm the co-founder and president of a company called Dimer, based in Orange County, California, surfing capital of the world
1: a very appropriate location for this episode. So where did the idea for an ultraviolet light solution come from?
3: My father and co-founder is an orthopedic surgeon and he became very familiar with ultraviolet lights and how they were used for disinfection in healthcare. One of the reasons that he has always had an interest in this is because his father was actually a plumber And when my father graduated from medical school, his father told him that plumbers save more lives than doctors because they prevent infections. And that's true. And that always resonated with my dad. So back in 2014, actually, we started designing a product that could use that same hospital proven technology and disinfect the high touch surfaces of an aircraft
1: cabin. Wow. Seven years ago.
3: Back in 2014, there was not a ton of demand from the industry for a product like that. And when 2020 started and we started hearing about this virus that was starting to spread in China, we realized it was only a matter of time before it started to cross borders and oceans. And it was going to be a challenge for the airline industry especially to keep passengers safe and make sure that they're not playing a direct role in taking these viruses from one continent to another. Back then, in early 2020, there weren't many people with answers to these questions. And we were one of the few groups that had been focused on this issue for a long time. And that challenge has always existed in the airline space. But it's mostly something that the industry and passengers have, you know, consciously or not, just come to accept as the norm. Sure. It's not easy to disinfect an airplane interior. And we think that UVC is a very effective way to do it. And we kind of created this unique form factor specifically for airplane interiors. And you just push this thing up and down the aisle and you can disinfect all the surfaces that passengers are going to touch.
1: And so how does it actually work on the plane? Can you can you take me through it step by step?
3: Yeah, good question. So the machine lives at the airport and it sits in the footprint of a flight attendant's food and drink cart. So we know it would fit in the aisle. Um but from there, it has these wings that extend over the seats and under the overhead bins. And the wing is designed to fit in the the lavatory door, so you can actually get the the toilet seat, the sink, and all the real high-touch, highly contaminated surfaces on board an airplane. And then it would be on and off before passengers board, and you know you're doing a very effective and efficient and consistent job.
1: And in terms of, like, how the UV light actually works... What is it actually doing to the virus?
3: Think of it like a sunburn. And it's causing damage to your skin cells. And when there are these tiny organisms like a virus, that kind of UV exposure is enough to deactivate it entirely. And what it does is it damages these cells at a DNA level. actually causes these chemical reactions that are called dimers that render these particles inactive. And that's where we get our name, dimer.
1: In 2020, Dimer entered a global licensing agreement with Honeywell. The technology is now widely known as the Honeywell UV treatment system.
3: You know, as an inventor working out of a garage, it was hard for us to convince airlines that we could, um, you know, fill their orders in a timely manner. Honeywell really checks all those boxes for us and really makes it very easy for airlines to onboard. Uh, we have a couple airlines around the world. Last I heard, that it is being used actively on five different continents.
1: Wow. And so to that end, have you had a lot of response yet? Feedback either from the airlines themselves or from flyers who are able to say, you know, they feel safer?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Cutter Airways I think was just awarded Diamond status for their health and safety on board from the Airline Passenger Experience Association, and we were 2018 Global Business Travel Association innovation of the year and 2020 time magazine best invention and i actually want to add something in here a little pro tip for people who are traveling the most contaminated location on an airplane is actually the seat back top on the aisle seat Uh, it's not the tray table it's not the flush button in the lavatory. we hear those a lot it's not the seat back pocket it's not the seat belt it's that seat back top in the aisle seat because when somebody's walking to the bathroom or or whatever they're doing on the plane, wherever they're moving, everybody uses that aisle seat seat back top as a handrest or an armrest. And when we take samples off of planes, the quantitative results that we get are just huge on that aisle seat back top. And it's one of the places where our UV products do an outstanding job.
1: Well, that was absolutely gross. <laughs> Thank you for that.
3: Uh, you know, we we set out, wanting to help solve a problem that was unsolved. And, you know, I wasn't aware of the the scope or magnitude of this problem before I started doing the research. I really appreciate being given this platform and this opportunity to kind of share some of our knowledge with the
4: world.
0: You're listening to Tarmac Warriors, a new podcast from SAP Concur Solutions. Join travel writer Heather Greenwood Davis and three extraordinary business travelers, a big wave surfer, a tropical fruit expert, and a climate scientist, and see what we can learn about where business travel is going. Subscribe now.
1: Welcome back. The amazing work of Dimer and companies like it is making travel safer than ever before. There is no question that the technology and safety equipment is a huge piece of the safety puzzle, but it's still just one piece. The same is
0: true in big wave surfing. It's not the equipment that gets you ready for the big wave surfing. It's the training that you put into, it's the experience in the water, and there's a lot of other things that makes you ready for the day. Right. It's a combination of so many
1: elements. And one big thing that I think people underestimate, both when they travel and for
0: surfers when they're out there on the wave, is all the other people involved. It's becoming more and more, um, it's all about the team, Um, which is kind of funny because surfing is the kind of thing that's just you and your board in the ocean and you can go out there, catch some waves and, and go home. But big wave surfing is different because we need eyes on each other. And my team is um, the one and only Yuri Soledade. He's an incredible surfer. He's from Brazil. Usually, our goal is to have two jet skis. And one jet ski is the safety jet ski, just for the rescue. And then I'll come in with my jet ski. And there I have my paramedic gear. I actually have an AD, tourniquets, hydration, electrolytes, food. And with that, we're able to stay all day. So
1: this idea of the surfer as being alone on the big wave is kind of a myth. While every surfer is dropping into a wave on their own, there's always a team of people whose focus is 100% on that surfer's safety. It's the same for business travelers, whether we know it or not. There's a team of people whose only job is to make sure you're safe from the moment you depart to the moment you arrive at your destination.
5: As a passenger, we tend to think most of those we interact directly with, the gate agent, the cabin crew, occasionally the flight crew if we happen to see them go by. But beyond them, you have even the airplane support teams, the maintenance teams, the catering teams, air traffic control, airport operations, and then everything that spills out from that that just supports travel, rental cars, parking, food and beverage, restaurants.
1: This is Tom Sanderson, Director of Product Marketing at Boeing, who serves as a part of Boeing's Confident Travel Initiative. It's a specialty group that works with airlines, global regulators, and industry stakeholders to enhance existing safeguards and develop new solutions to ensure the health and safety of everyone involved in air travel.
5: Basically all of the work we do to restore confidence in traveling by air, even in light of the coronavirus pandemic.
1: Since the initiative was formed in April 2020, they've done an incredible amount of work to understand the state of aviation safety. If you're hesitant to return to the skies or to send your employees back out on the road, you can take comfort in knowing the sheer volume of professionals dedicated to your safety. And Tom has an encyclopedic knowledge of them all.
5: So huge industries, in some cases brand new industries, are making their livelihoods, keeping us safe and allowing us to continue to travel.
1: Now, obviously, the issue of safety in air travel is nothing new, but I'm curious, how was focusing on safety just in the last year different?
5: In almost all aviation safety threat mitigation, you work in layers, layers of protections. You never assume that one thing or there's no one magic bullet that's going to solve all of your problems. You have to address it from tip to tail in some sense, or door to door in the travel analogy.
1: Ah, yes, the no magic silver bullet analogy. We heard that one for big wave surfing as well. Safety has to be multidimensional, right? So, okay, take us through the layers.
5: The first layer really was don't fly if you have symptoms. We were doing temperature screening. And the real point of that was try not to have people that are potentially infectious even enter the air travel system. That's, that's your first layer.
1: First layer. Don't let anyone infected on the plane.
5: Got it. But you can't assume that no one will ever travel while they're infectious. So the next level is to protect the airplane itself and keep it free of viruses so that you're entering into a clean environment. And that was really the major focus early on.
1: And how did Boeing tackle that?
5: We actually were the first ones to do what was, first of its kind in the world, testing on live virus. So we actually took an actual airplane, used a human-safe virus called MS2 that's actually more difficult to kill than coronavirus, applied it to the airplane, and then in our partnership with University of Arizona, cross-correlated those on-airplane via results to coronavirus. So we've got that full chain of proving, it's not just a lab thing, that as used in the field with real techniques and real people on real airplanes, we can successfully kill coronavirus. So that was a big boost to the confidence and sort of the the size and scope of the toolkit that we can provide to all the airlines.
1: Wow, that's amazing. So that was the second layer, protecting the airplane itself from the virus.
5: Then the third part was assume that even though we had a clean airplane and that we had good testing and screening, we might have an escape, an infectious passenger might get aboard. Make sure that that person cannot transmit the virus to anybody else on board, both passengers and crew. And the really good results from that work is that we don't need to make any significant changes to the aircraft itself.
1: Basically, commercial airplanes have three major features that make aerosol transmission of infectious particles really difficult. Air filtration, air flow, and the airflow pattern within the plane, which goes top to bottom, not side to side, or front to back, essentially causing an isolation effect.
5: That set of layers combined has resulted in the data we've seen now over the course of more than a year, which is under 60 known onboard transmissions on commercial aircraft out of well over a billion passengers flown.
1: Wow, I actually double-checked this stat because it was so impressive to me. And he's right. According to IATA, more than 1.2 billion passengers have flown on more than 16 million flights. But there's been less than 60 cases of suspected passenger-to-passenger transmission onboard airplanes in the last year. What does all this mean for business travelers?
5: The economics of airlines rests on premium and business travel. And so we should never do anything unsafe, but there's certain things that face-to-face needs to be, or there's certain kinds of relationships that don't work over Zoom. The CEO of one of the major airlines in the U.S. said, you know, the first time a salesman loses a customer because he tried to do it over Zoom and the other person went in person is the last time that they're going to try and close the sales over Zoom.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's probably true.
5: Healthy airlines are a benefit to all of us to allow us to travel at frequencies that we want to destinations we want to go to at fares that we're willing to pay. And business travelers are, in a lot of cases, the economic engine that makes that all possible. So to the extent we can, the health of the industry is somewhat in our hands too.
1: So what lessons have you learned along this safety journey?
5: The global cooperation was a huge takeaway. I've never seen this level of early and complete transparency between traditionally competing OEMs, between airlines, between airport authorities and regulators. No good comes to any of us from withholding information or trying to compete in an environment like this. Just the degree of cooperation and openness was really fantastic to see.
1: When it comes to safety, that is a huge lesson. We saw it in the scientific community with the development of the COVID vaccines, Tom sees it in the commercial travel ecosystem, and we're seeing it in the big wave surfing community as well. Ten years ago, a particularly tragic death in the sport inspired a grassroots surfer-led movement and the formation of BWRAG, or BRAG, an advocacy and training organization created by some of the biggest names in the sport.
4: So BRAG, BRAG stands for Big Wave Risk Assessment Group. BRAG really was born, I would say, in the, in the heart of chaos,
1: This is Brian Kiolana, a local legend in Hawaii. He can trace his lineage back to Hawaiian royalty, and he's widely recognized as the father of ocean safety. He grew up as a professional surfer.
4: And also uh, a lifeguard. My father being uh, one of the original lifeguards. I was born and raised on the island of Oahu, um, Makaha, to be specific, on the west side of Oahu, Um, and learned a lot from our culture about the ocean and applying those uh, cultural knowledge into what we learned technically from um, ocean safety.
1: I mentioned that Bragg was started after one fateful day when a surfer, Cyan Miloski, was held under by a wave at Mavericks and none of his friends, the other surfers, could save him. There and then they decided there had to be a change.
4: So Bragg was the birth of training surfers
1: This was the start of a big shift. The community decided to take responsibility for themselves and each other with the goal that eventually everyone on the beach or in the water could save a life.
4: So, you know, in the ocean, it's always that chaos that happens, you know, when you don't expect things to happen. How do you create safety where safety doesn't exist? and getting people educated as not only as an individual, but as a team. It's kind of that fine line between understanding beauty and the beast. So, you know, a lot of times we, you know, we go to somewhere, we only look at the beauty of things. We we'll look at the surface of things, you know. We see the, the nice waves or the blue skies or the swaying palm trees, but we don't see the beast, the dangers, the hazards. The, the source of the dangers that create those risks. And, and you can still create those beauty as long as you understand how to coexist with nature.
1: I think this rings true with travel as well. When we think of business travel, we romanticize it. We think of the adventure, the excitement, the exotic places and valuable interactions we'll have. we don't want to have to think about the scary stuff. But at a certain level, we are responsible for understanding the risks we take when we head out on the road. And we could learn a lot from the brag ethos.
4: I come from a different world, right? We all watch one another. When something happens, we all stop surfing and we get to, you know, helping out in getting that person out of the water, dealing with what's needed on hand. And everybody gets involved, so, you know, I always preach and say, it's not that the land divides us, but it's the ocean that connects us.
1: Wow, thank you, Brian. Thank you. Andrea, talking to Brian about Bragg, that passion he has for that collective responsibility
0: feels so powerful. You've been really involved with them as well, right? Yeah, and in the past few years you know basically they're they adopted me as one of their instructors and you know, they're definitely trying to have the course, you know, worldwide. So if worldwide everybody has that same idea, then we can all work together no matter where we're at.
1: Yeah. This is what Tom from Boeing was talking about, too. The impact of global cooperation when it comes to safety. And I think that's true no matter what context you're in.
0: You know, when we, we talked safety and I, I knew that I had a responsibility for the, the women ahead of me. Like if I'm the first woman to paddle at Jaws and something happens to me, it's going to be harder for the second woman to come in and paddle at Jaws. But if I achieve, I know that I'm going to motivate and inspire and they're going to come like they did, you know. And now we have in the world tour a, a division for women. Now we have Ecope, So, you know, it's taking this safety feeling or this, you know, the risks – transform this into make a safety plan and actually make it happen for the next generation. So really, when we're talking about
1: safety, we're talking about your legacy.
0: Right. I think because when you're a pioneer, there's a lot of eyes on you. And, you know, people are, some people are just waiting for you to fail. You know, I had that pressure. I had that pressure of like, I can't, I can't fail. And it wasn't just I can't fail for myself. I can't fail for, for, for what's going to be ahead of me. I can't fail for women. You know, I, I'm an advocate for equality. So therefore, I, I feel like I need to really be careful and represent the women well. You know, when we started this exploration of safety, it was really just on
1: this very nuts and bolts level what are the risks? How do you approach mitigating them, whether you're on a surfboard or in an airplane? But as I listen to your story, I think what you're pointing out is really profound, especially about safety. It's this door to our future so that we can come back tomorrow and the next day. And what that means is it's actually a door to our hopes and dreams. For our listeners, I think that dream might be whatever business goals they have, whatever wave they're chasing, whatever ambitions drive them to be tarmac warriors.
0: There's something about it. There's, there's a connection that, you know, it's kind of like you prove yourself that you're alive because you, you, you put yourself in a situation that it's so beyond the, my own control right like the wave is so big and there's so much volume of water but if I can dance with that volume of water then you're invincible a little bit you know not that you don't get humbled but it's a dance and you want to go back there you want to you want to dance again
1: Andrea thank you That's our show for today. We hope you'll join us for part two, where we'll dive into sustainability through the eyes of our second tarmac warrior, one of the most influential climate scientists in history. We'll be asking what happens when you travel to fight climate change, but realize your travel might be contributing to climate change. If you haven't already, please take a second to subscribe now so you don't miss a single episode. And if you enjoyed our talk on safety and big wave surfing, be sure to give us a like. Thanks for joining and see you next time.